Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 100 of episode 140 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. My name is Barbara. I think that's probably the first time I've ever heard you screw up the intro. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking about. You know, here we are recording <laughs> before Thanksgiving. So this is actually, even though it comes out after, I'm getting ready to go into a four-day weekend. Yeah. I'm actually still at the lab. I know you're not, but... Do I have everything done? Am I ready to leave? Can I go? You know, I have that feeling. Yeah. I know you know the feeling. It's mm-hmm. uh, I do know yeah. the feeling, but it's like whoop whoop because my ass is at home drinking one glass of wine, and then I'm going to go for a run. <laughs> How do you do that? That's amazing. It's a very small glass of wine because I had to wait for you, and we were committed to doing this, and so I was like, yeah, I'll pour a little glass, and then I'm going to go for a run. So nice. I'm an animal, I guess. I imagine it's what eighty degrees still sunny out there yes oh it's 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 dark outside and it's hot again and it's supposed to get into the 60s monday which i'm super looking forward to because um, i like the cold weather not your kind of cold weather but i like cold i was weather, gonna tell you so. i'd take 60 it's 53 right now and raining <laughs> Ooh, <Screw nice>. you. <laughs> i know thank you <laughs> have you noticed that offices are telling you that they're seeing less patients because of COVID? Have you heard this, that they're getting cancellations? I've seen it slow down, yeah. yes. I, I haven't personally heard that, but it's definitely slowed down. the last Since the election, I'll be honest with you, that's when I really saw it. Mm-hmm. And then it like slowed down, so I'm, I'm, I can only assume that's the reason. Have you been hearing that specifically? Yeah, I've had offices tell me they're seeing cancellations and patients are telling them that they're pushing it till spring because of COVID. I think they got everybody hyped up about the second phase. So people have automatically been putting themselves to last March when this all went down the first time because they've been talking about November for six months. And so it's like been in their heads and Sometimes we get in our heads and, you know, it's just, it's there. The psyche's there, so. It's going to be interesting to see what the end of the year insurance rush is going to be. Oh, I saw it today. To me, Thanksgiving weekend has always been the start of the home stretch to the end of the year. And now it's time to start getting busy and crazy. And I was busy and crazy today. I'll be honest with you. I had clients calling out for rushes and I'm going in on Friday to do two 10 unit anterior posterior cases and so yeah I'm I'm definitely seeing that so it was slow in one area like your single posteriors and then it's busier in the anterior area that's interesting I'm grateful yeah just saying yeah I mean here it is the day before Thanksgiving and I have a stack of 10 cases that I can't call on because those offices are closed already so (laughs) yeah So you need to go home. I'm heading there as soon as we're done. (laughs) Okay, so let's go. Let's get this going. So there are many companies in our industry that provide us the materials and tools to do what we do. Every now and then, a company will make a product that significantly changes the way we go about restoring patients. And Ivaclar Vivadent did just that with Empress and Emacs, and they still continue to improve materials today. This week, we had the pleasure of having Don Bell on the podcast. Don is the Vice President of Product Marketing at Ivaclar. Now, Barb, I'm not going to lie. When we first heard that we were going to be talking to a Vice President of Product Marketing, my hopes were actually kind of low. I figured we'd get some other pencil pusher on here that has been in the industry for less than a year, and he's going to tell me exactly what I can read on the Ivaclar website. Not with Don. But I was wrong. I was completely wrong, because Don comes on to talk about his 20 years with Ivaclar, his growth with the company, along with some of the digital growth within our industry. We talk a lot about the Ivotion denture system. That's their one-puck mill denture. And we talk about the Prime, which I know you're excited about. Yep. And what they did during the shutdown, how they came back from the shutdown, and what's next for Ivaclar Vivadent. This guy blew me away with how invested he was in our industry. So join us as we talk with Don Bell. Hey, Barbara, have you heard about Oradent and their new partnership? You mean up? 3D, Elvis? Exactly. The new P5 milling machine by Up3D. Is it another private label milling machine on the market? Actually, no. 
That's the cool thing. Up3D actually manufactures their own mills. Wow, that's awesome. What is the P5 milling machine offering? Well, for starter, the P5 is a 5-axis efficient dry mill. All right, so that's super ideal and totally convenient, but what about the quality of the milling? Well, it boasts software that produces high precision and fast milling. It can mill a crown, get this, in 14 minutes. And the tool life yields about 60 to 80 hours of quality restorations. Wow, that must be super expensive software, do tell. The cam nasting software is included at no additional cost. Come on, that's a super great cost savings for any lab. Budget friendly without compromising any of the performance. All right, so let's talk about price. Well, the funny thing is it retails for only $18,000. Wow, that's a super game changer for labs of all sizes, big and small. Under 20 k a small lab can now do their own milling instead of outsourcing. But don't forget the medium and larger labs can benefit big time from this too. The Up3D recently opened a home office in California near Oradent. So does that mean the mill ships from California and the remote technical support is also in California? Yes, Barbara, you are correct. Obviously, as always, they are both in the United States in Southern California. All you got to do is call our friends over at Oradent, 1-800-422-7373. Or you can visit their website at Oradent.com. We appreciate your support of the podcast, Oradent. Thank you. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. We are happy to announce on the podcast today, finally having somebody from Ivaclar on again. <laughs> it's been a while. We welcome Donald Bell to the program. How are you, sir? I'm very good. How are you? Doing well. So you mentioned you're in Chicago, huh? Yes. I actually uh, I moved out to Chicago roughly six years ago now for personal reasons. I met my uh, now wife here in Chicago. So uh, I had an opportunity to move my position from New York, Amherst, New York, where Ivaclar is located to Chicago. And uh, Ivaclar was very flexible in allowing me to pursue that. And it's all worked out. So now I'm happily married and I have retained my position at Ivaclar and just hit my 20 year anniversary. No kidding. Of fact. Yeah, in July. Wow. July, July of this year. It sounded like a cool thing when the year started. I'm like, oh, my 20 year anniversary is going to be in 2020. <laughs> yeah. It, it hasn't turned out as cool as I thought it was yeah, going to be. Yeah, no, this no. This 2020 is not quite as nice as we thought it was going to be. <laughs> so tell us, 20 years ago, I mean, you've seen this industry. You're nothing new to this. So. Where were you when you came into Ivaclar and how did you get involved? This will be perhaps interesting. I mean, probably like a lot of things, it was fortuitous. I was in another company. I was in two other businesses prior. One was a men's clothing manufacturer, volume clothing manufacturer for branded attire that you would see at like department store type yeah. labels. And then I was at a industrial valve manufacturer and the company had gone through some changes. It was very high volume business, but we made gas containment valves for like uh, propane tanks, compressed gases, oxygen, scuba tanks, etc. And I was looking to move from the organization. They were going through some significant organization changes. And I essentially answered an ad. I mean, this goes back a ways. I answered an ad in the paper, the paper. for an Ivoclair position and sent my resume and ended up interviewing and getting the job. So I was a product manager for a select number of clinical products. And ironically, or I guess, again, fortuitously, I got involved with milling blocks that we were just releasing to the marketplace. And that was really my first entrance into materials that were being used in a digital format. So that was one of the first products I ever had. So what do you do now with Ivaclar for those of us that don't know? Oh, very good question. First of all, so you introduced me as Donald. I think my mom was the only one that ever called me Donald. <laughs> I go by, I, go by uh, I think that's probably true of everybody. But at Ivaclar, I am always referred to as Don Bell because there are two Dons in the organization. So another Don who's in creative services is always Don. And Don Bell, which is me, is uh, the marketing okay. person. My title at Ivaclar is Vice President of Product Marketing. So basically, on a very simple aspect, I manage materials in development, 
bring to market here in the subsidiary North America and deliver into the marketplace on the lab and dentist side of our business. So nice. it could be everything from, you know, I used this analogy the other day, it's from amalgam to milling machines on the clinical side and acrylic to 3D printing on the lab side and everywhere in between. Wow. wow. I know they have a lot of material at Iva Clark. That's got to be quite the uh, portfolio you've put together. <laughs> I was in a more digital specific role for materials and equipment until recently. And what I've realized very quickly is an area of weak spot that I thought was a weak spot was way weaker than I thought, which is removable. So that's an area that's uh, I was never really deeply involved in, and I'm getting more and more involved in with the launch of our new system and how digital is really encompassed or energize the removable category. So it's an area of weakness for me, but I have some people on my team that are exceptionally good at it. So it's it's a good balance. So you said the launch of your new system. So tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. So we are actually in the midst of launching iVotion, which in very, uh, I'll say in very simple terms, is a disk system. It's a milling disk and it's unique technology for us because we've been able to merge the base and the teeth into one disk and you can mill a full denture, a full arch from one disk in one mill path uh, in one time spot. So it's very unique. We had a two disk system that we released two years ago. And I mean, speaking very frankly, it was beautiful technology. It milled two beautiful, a base and a tooth arch that were beautiful that we bonded together. Mm -hmm. uh, but it used a lot of machine time and um, it really became not super efficient for a lab to integrate into their workflow. So a one disc becomes, I think, a little bit more efficient in terms of what you can produce in one mill path and instead of having tying up the mill for two different uh, millings. So we're excited. It's called iVotion. The, the technology is, I feel, is very unique in terms of how we've melded the, the tooth structure or the teeth into the actual base material in one puck. And it's really driven off of 3Shape software. So we, we're very close partners with 3Shape. And you design your the removable, let's say, the full arch in 3Shape software and send it to our mill. And it mills out a complete arch of and I have ocean denture and it comes out really to the point where you can just go through a final polish and have it complete. Wow. It looks beautiful. Yeah. Monolithic. It's a monolithic denture. So we're excited about it. We think, we think it's a good fit. No pun intended. Mm -hmm. It is also a very good fitting denture, but it's, I think it's good technology. It's efficient. It produces a really nice result. So it's the same material of our current Ivoclar base material that we use for dentures and teeth material, same material in puck form and uh, in a monolithic version. So we don't feel like there's really a trade-off. We love the idea of printing, but we're still navigating how to get our material characteristics translated into a printable material, which is, I think, in general, tough for printing anyway. So that's a, it's an, always an in-development topic, but right now we mill a I would call extremely aesthetic and very extremely durable denture. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. You know, in this age of where everybody's into printing and you have digital dentures being printed, but during all this time, every lab knows that a milled denture is better than a printed denture. I mean, with strength and, and look, I like the fact that you guys are keeping it milled. I do too. Yeah, thanks. I, I think it's going to be, a, I think for us, it's a step. You know, we wanted to get the two disc system was was a great result, but it was a little cumbersome, as I mentioned. I think one yeah. disc is, it's a nice blend of durability, aesthetics, and efficiency. And we think ultimately some type of additive technology, like I think everyone in the industry thinks additive technology has some great advantages to it. And mm -hmm. in general, Generally speaking, additive technology struggles with creating any type of device or product that's very durable long term. They work typically, you know, this, you can print aligners or guides. I think yeah, those are yeah. great applications. But when you start getting into something that sees the consistent wear, like a tooth would, or a, let's say a, a denture or even a crown, there's a element of heat and repetitive wear. And it's in typically very general terms, 3D printed materials right now struggle with that because you can't quite get the amount of durability built into the materials that hold up over time. So, you know, you see a lot of like concepts done in 3D printing or let's say one or two use type applications. Yeah. It's the durability side to struggle. We're doing the same. We're trying to figure it out as well and uh, working on materials to, on the removable side and the fixed side that we can do additive technology with. Yeah. What's the average time to mill one of those out of a puck? Range is a little bit, but you're in the range of, you know, a couple hours to mill mm -hmm. on the machine. So you start uh, from the time you really start to finish, 
it'll vary a tad, but it's it's somewhere in that time period of about an hour and a half, two hours of machine time. And from a idea standpoint of where it fits into a workflow, that's really where it becomes, how does it integrate into the lab? So you end up with a situation where it's got to almost fit into a workflow where you have, and it doesn't have to be this way, but you always envision a, a situation where you have a machine, almost like a line setup. I'm going to take a digital design, come in, I'm going to design it in a three-shape software, send it mm-hmm. to my mill that's really milling dentures on a consistent basis, and that's what it's used for. And hmm. it doesn't always have to be that, obviously, because our mills mill everything. You can mill anything on our milling technology. You know, some of us, at least in the organization, you think it seems somewhat logical that you just have a defined workflow for it. But that won't always be the case, obviously. So I think people will buy milling technology and use mill zirconia on it, and they'll mill PMMA, they'll mill, you know, what have you on it. But that's kind of the way we think it might be down the road. And I guess it depends on how much you do of removable. You know, sure. if you have a the lab that has a defined department that does it on a consistent basis, that they're probably already doing that. They have a, an area set up, an intake area, a design area, and whether it's digital or not, and, and then move into production. So this would be a very similar type situation. So when you guys market or go out to a doctor or a dentist and you're marketing this material, do you have laboratories that are using it already that you can marry the two partners up with? We're actually working on that right now. So the aspect of where we sit, the new, the very newest three-shape software suite that's been released mm-hmm. has all of the iVotion design software in it. Mm-hmm. From a user standpoint, the lab really needs to download software and be able to upload and really upgrade their system to be able to access all the files and the libraries. And as we found, we don't sell the software. So it goes through resellers. And there's been a lag, I think, of adoption of the newest update of 3Shape software. And I think like many consumers do, I mean, I don't always update my phone right away. Sometimes I wait because (laughs) if there's some disaster on the update, you wait because you don't want to be part of the disaster. And I think think this is a similar situation. So as labs have been really been excited about it, we'll say, okay, these are the steps. Contact your reseller. You're going to have to request the download because it's not being pushed by the reseller to all the their end users right now. It's it's an available, but it's really I think they're doing a wait and see to make sure there's no challenges with the software update. So we're doing it on kind of a one of. We think this will take a while, so maybe it takes six months or some period where all the labs that own and use Three Shape probably update their software, mm-hmm. and then we're going to start to connecting doctors and say, if you want an Ivotion denture, this is where you can go because now we yeah. know they have the software; they can actually produce it. Right now, if we did that, you didn't have the software downloaded. You'd be like, I, I don't have, I can't do that. You know, yeah. right now that's not possible. So we're, there's a bit of a update process that we're working through with customers, and it's, I think it's okay. I mean, it's, I completely understand the whole intent. I mean, if if there's a software update and it goes sideways you know, lab probably gets shut down. That's bad. Oh, yeah. I don't think anyone wants to live through that. You wait until you see what you hear and feedback from the software update and see if, make sure there's no, you know, pending disasters to deal with. Oh, sure. <laughs> Never <laughs> the first. Happens, right? I mean, I don't mean that to be funny, but it happens. Know, it's not, it's it's not unusual. It happens in Windows. It happens everywhere. It's And everyone's got a story about, I had a scanner and I did an update and it shut down my office for two days. I've heard that from yeah. doctors that have said that for, it doesn't matter what product, you know, I get it. You want to wait to make sure you get user feedback and, you know, there's always user groups that'll jump on first and download the software and make sure there's nothing wrong or identify the challenges and then everybody else kind of follows. So, yeah. So there's a puck for every tooth shade. And for every two shade, there's also a puck for every acrylic shade. Yes, because it's a merged merged disc. So we're actually, we rolled out and we're going to be continually adding shades of both base shades as well as teeth. So we're rolling out and, you know, we rolled out the first four. There's another four that are just coming out. As we, by the time we really get probably start to see more and more labs on board, we'll have a pretty significant range of shades available. But you're right. We're going to be rolling out basically in sequences, different shades of base and tooth materials. Yeah, there's a lot of shades and molds. Well, no, the molds would be milled. So that's... They're milled and you have flexibility within the millings to do things that are more custom. So, you know, you have some latitude with angulation and with mold design, like you have some ability to customize it. So what you're stocking is, you're stocking shades basically. Sure. You're kind of fabricating the denture to fit what you want to design based on the tooth library you have. Yeah. You put that with your, what is it, the P7 mill that holds all those pucks? Yeah, so you can actually... I think it's running all night. Yeah, it could be. uh, 
we've got it tied right now. It's tied specifically to, and that was part of the relationship with Three Shape too. We wanted to design almost like a system that would work that we knew would work. So to take out variables, it's all right. We know the puck works, and it's got some unique design features to it. We need a software partner, which we have to help design the interface of the specific design of the puck to actually fit the prosthesis in it and then be able to go to milling. And by containing it to our mill for the, at least for the foreseeable future, we know if you download their software package and use our puck in our machine, it's going to work. That's what we absolutely know. It doesn't mean it may not work with another machine. Yeah, It's just the degree of, you know, is it off a little bit? Is something not quite right? And we don't, have a ton of experience with other machines necessarily so for right now it's it's a closed system in that regard but yeah you could load up you know a five a pm5 or a pm7 and with eight discs and just run them nonstop. that's nuts so are you guys doing any milling for doctors or laboratories if they don't have the mill yeah, so right now we have some milling center partners, at least one that we've already trained that we're utilizing. So Core 3D will do that nice. um, as a relationship. So they've been trained on the system. They have our mill and they have our material. So if in the short term, if somebody wanted to start using it, we can connect them to a milling center and they can actually, they can try it and use it. You know, yeah. for a lab can get it right from the milling center and see what the product looks like, how it works, how it maybe compares to what they're currently doing, or just start using it as a as an end product. So there's a couple different ways to get involved with it and see how it works. You know, ideally or not ideally, I guess that's probably one path. The other path is we sold you know a fair amount of machines into the marketplace. So the people that own our machines, really, other than downloading software, can download the software, buy a disc, and mill it see if they like it. I mean, it's kind of simple, but in that regard, it's pretty easy to be able to try and see what they like the result. And it comes out in a way that's, it looks really clean. Like I said, it's a monolithic denture. And then you're really going through removing it from the puck and then polishing. Mm. And um, that's it. That's pretty much it. I think what everyone loves about the idea of the concept is it's a digital record for a patient that, I mean, you get the immediate benefits of I've taken a really good impression, I've scanned it, I've digitized it, and now I'm producing it at a very high level of accuracy. So the fit of the denture is going to be very, very good. And we've noticed that too. We noticed that in our first version, the fits were really good. Mm. And no hot spots, you know, it doesn't really require realigning. Things that dentists would typically see with patients coming back. So that's one, but the I think the electronic record component is really significant. I mean, if a patient today loses their denture, it's really difficult to replicate in a timely manner. And mm-hmm. I think this creates a situation now where you're, you have the ability to serve a population of people that have, you know, removable devices. And if you can digitize it, then you can replicate that pretty fast and without having the patient come in for six or seven visits mm-hmm. along the way. I think that's probably from a, just servicing a customer base that really I have to imagine is very challenging to service. If they have a removable device and they lose it or it breaks, it's really difficult. I think, you know, if you're 85 years old, like I think about my parents as they got older and what do you do if you lose a, a denture or break it and you have to go back for, you know, multiple appointments and be without a denture, right? So it's, there's the number of visits and there's the time element that you're dealing with without it. And I think this creates an opportunity. And I think it's the same with printing. You know, the benefit of digitizing the final prosthesis is if somebody's without one, you, you can, they can have a device fast. And then however you make the final version, whether you use it in a printed form or you mill it, you service the patient and they have and they have their smile and their teeth back. And I think that's really the most important part. How does a doctor get trained on on this technology? Like how, how do they go about learning to scan and deal with the lab and give them the records? Yeah, so uh, what we found is that, um, and what we plan to do as we get more labs on board is really partner with labs that decide to use the technology and start centering on more dentist-facing programs that can help them understand, you know, when you work with your lab, this is what you need to be able to do. And in some cases, it's probably not dramatically different. It's making sure they get a good impression, physical impression. It could just start with that. They send it to the lab. The lab then can digitize the impression and then start the process. So in some cases, it may not be dramatically different, but I do think we want to encourage for the offices that are using it and want to go down this path and re-engage in some cases or start using doing removable for offices that don't to make sure they connect with their lab and their lab partner and make sure they understand, okay, I need to deliver you three things 
when I start doing this? And what are those three things? And I, I think, and I really believe this, I think we're going to end up seeing offices that, and I've talked to a, a fair amount over the years that just don't even want to touch removable. Yeah. yeah. They never want to do it, right? They just don't want to do it. And now all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like, wait a minute, if this address is really a, a defined better patient outcome and less follow-ups for me because I can get a better fit and I don't have to deal with people, you know, a patient unhappy with the fit and hotspots and dealing with irritations, et cetera. And I have an electronic record to replicate. I might move into this path and try to service a different clientele with removable. So I think overall, our belief is that hopefully this creates a better network of people that will serve the patient better and provide the patient more options to be able to get removable uh, devices produced for them. And I think doctors may look at it just because this addresses issues they I'm assuming they probably don't want to deal with, you know, the, oh, yeah. the number of visits, the number of impressions, the number of maybe potential follow-ups because of the fit or hot spots. And if those can go, kind of go away and be much less, I think it becomes more appealing for, you know, the general practitioner to say, hey, I'm going to do this. This is how I'm going to do it. And I'll work with my lab to deliver it, but it's going to be a quality product. And it's going to, in some cases, not be that dramatically different than doing probably a a bridge case. I might take a couple impressions. I work with my lab. I get the final restoration back. I seed it. And if the device fits like we've already seen in terms of the accuracy and the accuracy of the fit with no hotspots, the patient's not coming back Right for yeah. redo. So it's, you know, it almost becomes in the mind of a clinician, it might become, yeah, I kind of do that now. I'm just going to have a different device instead of having it being a fixed three unit bridge. It might be a, or six unit bridge. It might be a full arch hmm. uh, denture. So I think that's our overall goal becomes we think we have good technology and we'll partner with labs as we go and get more people on board and the idea is let's communicate what you can do and let the doctor serve a patient base which i i would imagine generally is kind of underserved yeah i don't exactly know that but i you get the sense that it's probably the case and there are options for what they, where they can go it might be limited and yeah i think this is a better way to do it hopefully and i think anything we can do digitally is going to make the experience for the customer better especially elderly patients that are losing or missing their denture. Well, anytime a lab can make the lives of a dentist easier, <laughs> that's yeah. how you that's how you get the account, that's how you keep the account, and they all struggle with removable. So anything we can do to help that, that's that's key. It sounds like this is great. I love the fact that the teeth are connected. So there's not a weak spot of that bond because I've heard that there's been some issues with the printed ones, with the bonding, the teeth to the base. This is all one yeah. piece. That's pretty nice. Yeah, it's monolithic. I think we we were fortunate. We didn't experience as much when we did the milled restorations and bonded them. So that was not really a significant issue. But we also, we make a lot of bonding materials. So yeah. I think yeah, we know how to bond things together well. And the milled surfaces, I think we always, in the, the two-piece system, were we made sure they were roughened, they were treated, and then there was a bonding technique that was used just for the PMMA materials. And it can be done, and it works. It's, yeah. If you ch- kind of cheat it and try to go another direction or just use anything, that might happen. I print two pieces and stick them together, and if I don't really have a good bonding protocol, those pieces just aren't going to work. You have to activate the surfaces and get them to basically bond to this adhesive in between. It's, it's not magic on one hand, but it's, it's also you can easily skip a step and then something's coming off. Can you fix one tooth on the on the monolithic denture? Yeah, it can be done. So we have some abilities to be able to do touch-ups and things like that. I think as we go, we're going to have to try to refine certain aspects of what we do mm-hmm. uh, to provide more clear solutions. Like this stuff's going to happen and we're still working on sure. applications on, uh, on implants, for example. Um, what happens if something doesn't quite fit? Do we need to make a bigger bigger size pucks or different geometry? So yeah, I mean, there's things you can do to modify it. So it's you're still dealing with PMMA. So you have the ability with the surface to be able to adjust it, uh, add to it if something chips off and bond to it. And it works. PMMA bonds, again, reasonably well mm-hmm. with the right bonding protocols. So it's usually a big part of it. But if something were to happen, yeah, you have some flexibility to repair. Nice. Yeah. So speaking of dentures and denture teeth. Uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> you're not going to start getting rid of your blue line teeth, are you? No. So we're. it's actually a really good topic in general. Yeah. So, uh, I know there's been some general discussions about what's happening in the removable world yeah. right now in terms of changes. I think... In a general sense, I'll say from an organization standpoint, we are 
and probably like a lot of organizations in the industry, what COVID has really done is it's forced you to evaluate what you have in your portfolio of stuff, what you want to keep and what you want to drop. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously happening with different organizations. We're no different. So we're constantly trying to streamline products that we have and products that we currently keep and maybe products that we're going to drop longer term. So things that really drop off in terms of volume over time, we're going to obviously drop off and eliminate. We're trying not to do anything significant with anything that's got a significant volume associated with or a reasonable amount of volume. And I think a lot of that comes down to customers that struggle, like they get used to using a certain product. And the hard part is there's some magic cutoff point for us or for any organization about when you start dropping off products and when you're going to discontinue things. It's never easy to do that. So it's constant. We have clinical products that we're going to discontinue over time. Some are improvements. Some are just older technology that we're eventually going to phase out. We're doing the same on the lab side of our business with certain elements and, um, I think for us, we try to be really cognizant of the market and how we serve it. And if it's if there's volume still there, we try not to disrupt it because we know customers really lock into a product. If it's something that really starts to drop off, then it's difficult for the individual customers that are involved, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But it's when it gets to a certain point, we kind of look at it and say, okay, does it really make sense to carry it? Mm-hmm. And this is a, the global organization, I say that. Short answer is no, we're trying to actually work through how we can deliver. Right now we have some opportunities with other competitors that have moved away from some of their lines of different teeth. And we're trying to just help labs stay up and running and find products that work in our portfolio of products because uh, they can't get it from another manufacturer. So we have over the course of the next upcoming year, we have things that we will discontinue. I would say by and large, there's nothing want to say dramatic they're mostly smaller accessory type items that didn't really take off that will discontinue over a period of time but it's as i look at them there's nothing really significantly dramatic in that portfolio that's i think going to be a shocker it's mostly older technology things that we phased out over time or just don't sell because we've created successor products sure but yeah that's it's a constant battle and i think COVID has really accelerated this situation for every manufacturer. Like you, oh, yeah. you got to make tough calls about what you keep and don't keep because there's a cost to carrying the line. There's a cost to the production of the, the product. It's really, it's tough, but it's tough in normal situations. I think this has put everybody in a situation where they've had to make decisions fast. Yeah. Well, we've all had time to reflect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would say that for me though, giving your company a compliment, we did not struggle at all getting materials in from Ivaclar during that whole event, even post or before or after it. And since then, um, I know there have been some companies that we've been struggling with. So, you know, and you guys went out to us and said, Hey, you need to place a big order. You know, you might have some backlogs here and there, but we never experienced anything. So you guys are doing things right. Yeah. When everything really shut down, our CEO and the supervisory board and corporate management team philosophically, I think really felt like, Hey, let's be, let's be proactive. We're not going to stop what we're doing. We're going to continue to service customers in whatever capacity we can help them. So in a lot of cases, initially when things stopped, we offered a ton of education and tried to support, you know, just with information and, you know, take the opportunity to learn how to do things differently or what we had available. Uh, But we kept products moving to a degree. We kept building right up until the time where we really, all the facilities kind of shut down and we had Mm -hmm. a pretty significant amount of stock. And then as we came back, we continued to build inventory. So And then we just stayed in touch with customers. And as you guys, you know, as lab industry came back and I felt like that really came back, started to come back quicker first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we were reasonably to very well positioned to say, okay, we've got product in the pipeline, either finished or mostly done. And we were starting to pull people back into manufacturing and we were fortunate. I don't think we had, I'm sure we've had isolated challenges along the way of timing things that were not available or shades, but in general, we were able to do very well. And we stayed in touch with customers and just tried to make sure that we could provide service to them as best as possible. What's interesting is, uh, so we sell labs direct, obviously. So you, you understand that we, we've we been in contact with you. And if we knew if somebody goes in the back order, I think that's actually gone really well. And in some cases, we had dentist customers that weren't able to get certain items and they were 
not thrilled if you know it's an office opened up in a particular state and they were ordering product and we sell through dealers if they couldn't get it we'd end up hearing about it and in many many cases it was yeah. uh we have it yeah. it was very clear like we have it just have them order it it's not it's not because we don't have it. And I think Dennis got frustrated too, because every person in the chain tried to compress their inventory levels a little bit, and which I really understand because it's cash flow. But we heard that directly from some dentists that were frustrated that you know their partner in between was trying to manage inventory down and didn't have things on demand like they had in the past. But you know that happens too. That goes to the, the point of you know, how you're managing cash as a business. And we kind of navigated through it and we try to guide our dealer partners to make sure that as we got customer orders, we kind of nudged them a little bit to make sure they were ordering and it seemed to work okay. Yeah, worked really good. We didn't have any issues either. And we always order direct. I didn't even know we could order from you guys through a vendor. <laughs> well, I would say in general, I'm in the vast majority of our products for labs are sold direct. And okay. then it was just the difference in what COVID really did, to, you know, to Barb, to your point, some manufacturers kind of sh- really shut down for a long period of time. So they might not have even been producing product. And in, in the cases, though, we didn't, you may still have dealers that really shut down operations on the clinical side of our business. So we kind of saw that a little bit from the industry in general, you saw just, it was people trying to minimize inventory along the way. And we continued to produce because we felt like the industry would come back at some pace and we were able to do that. So Yeah. Fortunately for everybody, it came back super quick. I mean, we did a lot of things here internally. What about your company itself, if you don't mind me asking? Did you guys keep everybody on um, during that time? Did you need to furlough anybody or did you keep everybody whole? Oh, good question. So we... Um and it seems like a long time ago now. <laughs> I know, doesn't yeah, it? <laughs> it's weird. It's very weird. Like time has really been off. Was it There's even no this t- year? I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the timeline's really odd. But we went through a phase of work share. We called work share. So we had people working. So that what I thought was great, a couple things that happened. The government decided to create a stimulus package and really provide, I call it a safety net. So there's a safety net for the vast majority of people that had they were working that if they got furloughed or had, in our case, reduced work hours, they could pick up unemployment with the balance. And then mm-hmm. there was a stimulus side of it. And we had our teams of people working in Amherst, as an example, mostly, let's say half week, but we worked half day every day. So it was like nice. Monday, Monday through Friday, or actually it was Monday through Thursday from morning till noonish we had our teams on board. So we really functioned pretty normally as though like we were running programs, we were doing whatever, you know, in the normal part of the day. And we didn't completely furlough people. Nice. And I actually think that really helped us keep moving. We kept things mm-hmm. moving and stayed active and involved in what was going on. I feel like we responded faster to things coming back as offices and labs reopen because we were already dialed in. Everyone was talking, we were in meetings, like we were virtual meetings, but we were all working. And I think that was really a smart way to handle it. Maybe the furlough, complete furlough had other benefits to it. We didn't go that route. And then we ended up as the year progressed planning ahead. We kind of looked at 21 and, and foresee a reduction, a bit of a reduction overall in the industry, at least what, what, what our projections are mm-hmm. compared to 2019, like a full year of 2019. So we restructured a little bit in late July, early August. With some, We made some organizational changes that were difficult, but we felt like I think 19 is going to be different and we had yeah. to restructure or how we were working. We were working differently. And in my case, the marketing, our team was working really dramatically differently. How we're going to market's different. How we're going to teach and educate's different. So we've made some changes through that as well. So nice. it's been, uh, yeah, I think in the end, we're better positioned going forward for the rest of this year and into 21. It's really nice to hear, Barb, and that you didn't have any challenges or didn't have any issues with materials. We tried to stay connected to our customers and understand needs and build what we needed to. And I think it's worked, you know, over the course of this time. Yeah, we felt that from, um, you know, from the perspective of communication and letting us know what was happening and what we needed to do, what your company was doing. I mean, there was definitely a lot more communication coming from your company. Yeah, we tried to do that and stay connected to people. And um, it's super important. (laughs) Yeah, I think it also helps understand everybody's situation too. Like that's one of the things we've been really cognizant of is it's good to hear and understand what challenges you're running into or what a particular lab or group of labs are running into or individuals too, because individual labs have their own challenges and they're 
in a geographic area, they might have five smaller labs that never came back. And all of a sudden they've got an influx of business they didn't anticipate because they didn't anticipate that happening. There's a variety of things that have happened everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think and believe the connection side of it helped us just to be aware of that and understand it. And I think it's been helpful, really helpful for us. Yeah. It's good to hear that. I appreciate that. Yes, absolutely. So has Ivacar has Ivaclar been surprised? <laughs> I don't know. Has Ivaclar been surprised with any of the products that have like increased in sales since we've started back up after the shutdown? Were you guys like surprised, like, wow, that's a lot of Emacs or all of a sudden? Or Yeah, it's a good question. I would say in general, I would say a very general statement. We've been surprised a little bit at the speed at which things have come back. Yeah. That's probably been the we biggest have too, don't surprise. Worry. <laughs> yeah. So within our what we've been selling. So initially when this happened, you think, okay, like no one's going to buy equipment because no one's going to buy equipment the rest of the year. You'll use what you have. You'll figure it out. That hasn't been the case. And that's very for different reasons. In some cases, it was replacement of equipment or maybe adding production because like I said, there were some, Mm -hmm. maybe some smaller labs geographically that never came back or that merged. So that's been a little bit of a surprise. I'd say in general, we've been surprised at how things have come back in ways that were, you know, people are doing cases almost like, I don't want to say like normal, but it, to some extent, the levels of what we're seeing feel more normal, like a typical year. Yeah. And that's been a bit of a surprise. I, I think, and I, as we look at it, you think, okay, so there's the maybe pent up demand for cases. And then you wonder, does this affect, you know, if Dennis, how are they doing with hygiene? Are they feeling hygiene? If they're not, do our patients just not wanting to come back? And we just, are we just seeing like a bump or is there some progression of this that's consistent like people want to go back i I think of it from my standpoint i think i want to go back and do stuff normal but i mean i'm not the entire market so i you wonder how that's going to actually play out but we've been generally surprised about the levels of restorative products that have come back like people are doing cases yeah and fulfilling cases so that doesn't seem to have dropped off significantly I thought for sure, smile design cases, diagnostic cases, implant cases, those would be the last thing in my particular company to come back. And they're like the first. I mean, we've got a ton of diagnostic cases. I mean, these are cases that people need, you know, money for. So that's why I was so surprised to see it come back so quickly because people are spending money. And, you know, it's just, especially with the implants. Smile design. I, w- I was super surprised about that. I, f- I figured single posteriors, bicuspids, you know, like anything needs. like that. But yeah. yeah, you think people would fill a need and that's it. They wouldn't actually fill something more than that. Yeah. Yep. Well, we've seen a influx in doing custom shades. I think people sat at home in front of a mirror for three months <laughs> and, and judged. Yeah, now they're ready to get out there and redo their smile. Yeah. So I'll give you an analogy to that, which I think is you. I think you're right, more right than you think. Than you know. I moved in the pandemic in Chicago. In Chicago, yeah. So I don't know if that was a good idea at the time. I questioned it at the time, but it was for a variety of reasons, and the timing just was what it was, right? So it became now we're going to do it. And we moved and what we were talking to a contractor who was going to do some work. And he said, I'm swamped. Everyone's doing upgrading their home, doing stuff in their house. And I said, why is that now? I go, wouldn't you think people would stop? And he said, because everybody's home. They're stuck. You're looking around your house every day. So your point about people are looking in the mirror every day, they're home. They're either looking in their immediate space, their immediate realm of world. The world is very small right now. And that's what they're seeing. Yeah. I love the fact that they want to feel better, you know, upgrade their houses, upgrade their smiles. It just shows that really still have the need to feel good, especially now. Maybe the pandemic jarred everybody into reality and they were like, holy crap. Yeah. Bummed than being at home and not at work and your kids are there and your husband's there and you're just like, wow, what can I do to make myself feel better? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would imagine it's a combination of that. You know, we're all human beings. So you, maybe you think, well, people will be conservative. They won't spend money. They won't want to do certain things. And then you look at it and go, I don't know. I'm home every day. I'm looking at what I'm doing and maybe I'm not going to be traveling. I'm not going to be going anywhere because it's just too difficult. So we're going to be eating in more. I want to learn how to eat and how to cook more in house, or maybe I need tools to do that. And 
I want to do stuff that I want to make my house a little bit. And I don't like my kitchen because I'm going to be cooking more in my dining area, yeah. whatever. Like it's what you see every day and you're seeing it 24 seven now. And yeah. I would say probably similarly to your smile, maybe they're just realizing it's the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And then they cover it with a mask and go outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. But I mean, from, at least from what you see, it's like your immediate little world and you're in, like in my case, it's a condo. So in your immediate little condo, you're worried about how my condo looks and, sure. yeah. and that's it. Cause that's my world right now. Right. I mean, it's a, on a general basis, that's my world I'm living in. Every day. We definitely painted some walls during all this, so yeah. trying to brighten up the rooms. I've got a question um, related to products. So I've been using the Ivaclar Prime, uh, the multi-layer um, zirconia, yep. which I love. That seems to have really taken off. Are you guys coming up with any other pucks in the future or anything different with that material? Yeah, actually, this is another one of those things that... <laughs> We launched it a year ago in Chicago, and it seems way longer ago than that. <laughs> was that this yeah. year? <laughs> I know. It's hard to believe, but it was uh, It was February of 19 that we showed it, released it, and then we started shipping it in June of 19. Mm-hmm. And it seems a really long time ago now, but it's funny, the time situation still. Yeah, Prime has gone well. I think people initially were... They like the idea of it. I think we tried to educate a little bit on on how we created the gradient technology idea of how to blend the zirconias as opposed to just the pure layering mm-hmm. to create better aesthetics. And I think that it's different. So there were, you know, we had cases that people would show and I, I like this, but it seems a little bit too bright here or here. And I'm like, well, that's the way that some of it's just how the material blends, you know? Yeah. So I think people had to adapt as labs started to use it. What they liked about it was I can mill it. And when it's done, it's, and after it's centered, I'm not really doing much else to it because it looks really nice. And I think there's a really nice efficiency for it. So the one thing we were really lacking at at release was a larger size disc. So the 25 millimeter disc is actually coming out now. Cool. Q4, it was due earlier, but I think we were delayed a fair amount with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We shut down some things in development. So that'll be out. That's actually rolling out now. So that for full arch cases will be much easier than using a 20. Sure. I mean, 20s can work probably reasonably well, but we got questions on that right away, especially labs saw the application and said, I want to do full arch cases on implants and we need a taller disc. So that's actually rolling out right now. Then we're looking at other, you know, how we can improve it. That's going to be really the next step is, you know, how we can enhance it or make it be more effective or more aesthetic as the case may be. I love doing Emacs combo cases with the prime on the posterior. I mean, you know, not a lot of zirconias will match similar materials, but they just don't match. And when you're using Emacs and you're using the prime, it's amazing. And I usually layer. So the layered cases and comes out, the shades are just super. It's great to hear. You know, you're right. Unfortunately, we run into this a fair amount is that you've got cases with Emacs, with lithium disilicate, and now incorporating zirconia in places, and they just don't go together well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the materials are dramatically different. One is really reflective and one is not, and more translucent. It's just different chemistries, but we've done well to get it close. I'd say we we refer to things now more as shade compatible almost Mm -hmm. or value compatible. They're never going to exactly match necessarily. It's just going to look a little different. Zirconia is zirconia. I mean, as much as we've tweaked ours and conditioned it and merged it together to create really nice aesthetics, it's compositionally, it's going to have the ability to get a little bit bright, maybe a little bit brighter and higher value Mm -hmm. depending on polishing and such. So we feel it's more compatible. And that was really one of the goals was if you do combo cases, ideally you like them to try to go together pretty well and not stand out like, you know, you got a flashlight somewhere. Everything else doesn't match. So Uh, it's good to hear. I mean, that was, it's a goal when we came to market and it's, it's continuing to be how we can enhance it. So I'm sure there are cases you've done with Prime that maybe you liked, but you you know you looked at it and thought, I wish it was maybe it looks a little bright here here. And there are some things that we've gotten feedback on too that we're trying to maybe enhance or optimize. Especially labs are doing more cases now with anteriors with material with zirconia. Prime especially I think was one of those because you can do the benefits of having. Uh, the transitional yeah. shades and translucency, you can really do that and achieve aesthetics. But we wanted to be able to, I'll say, navigate the three and five wide blends a little bit to try to make them 
a little bit more translucent if possible or have them look a little bit softer. Yeah. Our multi-layer before the MT multi was a four and five wide zirconia. And, you know, we had labs that looked at both and said, I like this one a little better because it, it looks a little softer and more opalescent as opposed to more zirconia. And the three wise, I think you see that in the base and how it blends into the five. Sometimes you can pick it up. So we're working on that too, as a, how do we improve it? If you're going to do something more anterior, it should look almost like you're using Emacs or just disappear like that. So I had three cases go in um, last week that I did three, uh, eight unit cases and the doctor just loved them. Good. This was somebody I had to convert difficult to convert because he wanted layering, layering, layering. I'm like, you've got to try this. You're going to love it. And and he did. So it's a phenomenal material. Kudos to you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate That's really, it's great to hear. It's been continuing to move uh, and grow. And I think more of our customers have seen the value of, of what it can do uh, from a production side. And I think the value to the end user is, wow, it looks great. I mean, that's in the end, you got to have both because we can make it efficient. But if it doesn't look, if it doesn't look good, then forget about it. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You can make anything efficient, but if, <laughs> if it doesn't look good, it doesn't make any difference. So, um, we're always trying to do both. Don, you've never worked in a lab? I have not. You sound like you have. That's the <laughs> thing. I mean, you and Barbara going back with shades and translucency. and it- Part of the role is I have to be able to sound and look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's half of it. Fake it till you make it. I love it. But no, I've, I've taken the opportunity. It's been a couple year plan of mine, I was trying to, to move through and visit labs a lot more over the last couple years. And I was kind of doing it in clusters. So it went in different parts of the, the country. Mm-hmm. And then this year obviously went off the rails. So I've, I mean, yeah. I've done really no travel this year, but it helps tremendously. It's a very obvious statement, but we have great experience in our organization with technicians that work in our education team, also work in sales. And it's great to hear and listen to what people you know, what lab customers are looking for and what they struggle with and what can we do to help support them and build products that fit what they need. And, you know, it's really no different than any other category. It's just, it, but it's always good to hear that firsthand. And, you know, over a period of time, you start to learn, okay, these are challenges that are running into and how do we address it? And then our job is really try to help, I think, create solutions that work in the end and can help a lab be more efficient, more effective, and create great aesthetics, hopefully, as well. So Yeah, well, that's why Ivaclar has been such a great partner to laboratories is because it's obvious you guys listen and you employ people that were in our industry to understand what we need. I think it speaks mm-hmm. volumes. Thank you. Yeah, we. I think it's always been a big priority. I mean, it goes, I started uh, over 20 years ago, and Bob Ganley at the time was... Oh, yeah. Um, the president, obviously, of North America and then became CEO, I think, five years after I was there. And that's a cultural thing. You know, that's yeah. a, it, it might have even predated Bob. I don't know. But it, in his tenure, he created a culture of, you know, ask questions, listen deeply to customers, understand needs, and don't take it lightly. Like, it's not just, yeah, we say that and then we'll get to it whenever. It's it's a constant discussion now. We do the same thing uh, with Dennis on the clinical side of our business. I've had this discussion with people that we work with in the field that use our product, especially Dennis, who said, you know, I like this product, but I don't like this one. Is it okay if I show what I like to use, you know, in a mm. lecture or something? Mm. And, you know, they don't want to feel like they're not supporting us or something. Sure. And I always say the same thing and I really believe it. It's like your job as a clinician or a lab in this case, is not to love our products. Our job is to create products that you love and you yeah. want to talk about. And yeah. in that particular case, this doctor that he and I go back almost my entire career at Ivoclar, he hated our cement. I mean, hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I joke about it now because we end up fixing it, came up with a better solution. And he loves it. But I said, if you don't use it and you don't like it, what I would appreciate is just tell me why. And just don't talk about it. Talk about whatever you use and why you like using what you use. This isn't your issue to deal with. It's ours. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. He liked our restorative material. He just didn't like our cement. I'm like, that's fine. Use whatever, talk about whatever you use. Mm-hmm. And we ended up coming up with a better product based on his and others about shades and cleanup. And we created something that was ultimately really good. It took a while, but then he loves yeah. it now. And 
I'm like, that's the reality of what we try to do is make stuff that people really like that either serve a need, address a pain point, or that people love it because it's easy to use, whatever the case may be is. But simple idea, but it's not always, you know, sometimes in a room or in a building at any or corporate organization, you can always convince yourself of something. You can get five people in a room and convince yourself that this is the right <laughs> the right yeah. way to go. But when you start listening to customers, it, it's a whole different reality check of, no, no, this is what we need to do. Plus having to listen to so many different customers because you yeah. know what works in Barb's lab is not going to work in my lab and vice versa for different That's reasons. True. So it's got to be hard to pick through all that and make everybody happy yeah yeah i think it's i you're right it's true and i think in general sometimes we run into differences based on the type of customer sometimes it's size sometimes it's other things but we try to stick to things that we really believe in too so that helps we would like to create really good solutions that are efficient and productive for you guys to use in your lab but are highly aesthetic. For sure, if the feedback we get from something is particular lab, let's just use a lab as an example, and says, I don't really care what it looks like. I just want something that's cheap and fast. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a, I mean, and I'm not picking on any individual or any sure. in particular lab, but within every business segment, there's going to be, I'm going to really focus on price and yeah. speed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And those are ones where you can kind of say, okay, this doesn't really fit because we're going to develop something that's probably not that. And on the other hand, you're going to get, let's say Barb's looking at it in her lab saying, yeah, I want to create something that looks great too, but I need it to be, you know, I can't have 10 steps to get there. It's like, okay, let's, we'll figure it out. But we know at the end, you still want to have a final product. So there might be some give and take to get from 10 to, you know, three steps as opposed to maybe 10 to one, but you want the outcome as well. So I agree with you. It can be difficult to listen to everybody, but I think when you start seeing it through the lens of we're not going to really veer off of what we do and what we believe in either. So that helps. That's kind of the, you know, there's a directional aspect of that where you say, this is what we do and how we do it. And we're not going to probably fit or be the best vendor for everybody, the best partner. Yeah. I think we're going to be a good partner for a lot of people. Yep. Absolutely. And you have. Yeah. We don't, that comes up virtually I mean, every conversation we have when we talk about product or development or how we go to market, you know, what we're showing, it, the aesthetic component of something doesn't work. It's There's no chance. And then it, once that happens, then it's okay if we're going to do, you know, and I'll pick on our first version of iVotion as a good example. It was a really nice result. I mean, I saw it for the first time after people started doing cases. And then I saw the steps of milling it the number of hours to mill the top and the bottom, yeah. bonding it and going through a cleanup. I'm like, there's no chance of this happening. Yeah. Yeah. No one will ever do this. That's what happened. And, and not that I was smart about that. It was more, it was just obvious. I figured, okay, we're not going to be successful in this area, but conceptually, I think we had a direction of where we wanted to go because it produced a beautiful result. Yeah. And at some point you got to just accept that, like, this isn't going to be good enough. You're not going to convince a lab to spend 80 grand on a mill tied up for six hours a day and get one denture on. Yeah. There's no chance. Yeah. There's no chance. <laughs> right? Like there's no chance. At some point it becomes really simple. Like there's, I wouldn't do it yeah. if it was my business. Yeah. How? It, so then you kind of work your way through it. And I think people used it and some people who did them, um, some were universities, some were some labs, but very limited because I think they liked the idea of it. And they positioned it as a really a premium product, which was fine. You know, but uh, commercially it was, wasn't where it needed to be yet. So, no, yeah. So yeah, we're, we're aware of that. I mean, even you may tell us that I'm sure you may tell us something and it's like, yeah, we know that you just (laughs) (laughs) confirming a weak spot. That's what a lot of it is. Yeah. You can tell when a sales rep comes in and you tell him something, he's heard it before. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I will say one of the benefits that we have that I think is really pretty cool are salespeople because a lot of them are we're really well tenured in this industry and they've been in the industry a long time. They really are very good about this isn't going to work and this is why. I greatly appreciate that. And I've really tried to encourage that in conversations. I know sometimes it's uncomfortable because people don't want to sound like they're complaining, but I'm like, if something doesn't work, especially from a field level, like when you're in a lab and you're talking to a lab customer and you define and can identify this is not going to work for this customer and this is why, for sure tell us and our people are really good about that and that helps us tremendously too because it keeps us connected mm-hmm. more connected to the labs on a consistent basis yeah, so for sure i always encourage that i like it if you tell your rep something that comes in i can almost promise you 
it's going to come back to us. Yeah. I mean, there's very few times we don't hear it almost immediately. So, and I think it's good. I think ultimately that's the transparency side of how we all work together. And we might not move super fast to fix it or address it in some cases, but we're going to, we're sure going to try to identify and try to. Well, this podcast is proof of that. It started with me talking to my sales rep. Hey, I got to get someone with Ivaclar on here. It's been a while. Yeah. And it went up the chain yeah. and it was really, I mean, it happened quick. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling you the story. So Barbie, you weren't on yet. So this was, we booked this way in advance, obviously. And then uh, this became forecasting week for me. So I, like on Wednesday, forecasting week is dreadful sometimes <laughs> at Iva Club because it's, it's very tedious. And we were going through the schedule and I'm like, Ish, are we still doing the because I, I had blocked my day on Friday. I'm like, I want to make sure we're still doing the podcast because we got a forecast. I'm like, I go, it's okay. And I don't want to move it. I don't want to move it because we'll never reschedule. Yeah. It. Let's just keep it. So it ended up working out really good. Cool. But it's funny how stuff kind of changes too. But I think it's it was a great conversation that led into the podcast. And you know, I think we always want to stay connected. Anyone of our executive team would be more than welcome to be on and uh, and participate, I think it's really helpful. It keeps us connected to the industry. And we want to share things too and share what's going on at Ivaclar. And hopefully it helps everybody feel like things are getting a little bit more back to normal. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Yeah. We appreciate everything that Ivaclar has done for the business, not just, you know, great products and good support, but just providing education for the industry, supporting the foundation and NADL and various LMT events. I mean, you guys are a big part of our industry and we thank you for being in it, I guess. I mean, no, it's a, uh, you're welcome. You know, we, uh, obviously we have relationships in this industry that are go back a long way and are very deep and, uh, we take very seriously. I mean, we're one of the unfortunate parts about the COVID situation now going into next year is, you know, Chicago. I, I think I mentioned in my email, I'm very close to McCormick yeah. Yeah. here in my new unit. And, Would have been uh, convenient. It's, it's <laughs> so weird. I have to tell you, it's so weird because I walk down that way with my dogs. Sometimes in the morning, we go in different directions and it's the area with the hotels is just empty. Yeah. It's so yeah. weird. And it's, you know, you go through a whole time period of just no activity. But you start thinking about like LMT events or NADL events and how is that, you know, Virtual events are okay. I mean, we've been doing virtual programs and meetings, and I think it's they've been reasonably effective. Yeah. But it's you don't connect with people exactly directly. It's hard. It's not harder. So it, it's not impossible. Yeah, it's harder. So the more that you can do with cameras help because at least you can see people and get reactions. But it's uh, it's not the same. And I know I, I think all of us hope this is a short term situation, and then we'll be back to meeting in person and doing things again sooner than yeah. later. But that's probably the thing that I know we miss a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We miss that. Oh, absolutely. Seeing customers. Me too. It's hard. It's been well, tough. hopefully we'll see you in May at yep. the Chicago that's yeah. scheduled. So. I'm hoping. I am cautiously optimistic. Yeah. We are, uh, Illinois is, I don't know. We've been very, he's been very cautious. The governor's been very cautious about yeah. group settings. And I'm hoping that this will continue to progress to a point where things open up more normally mm. for things like that. But it's been very slow. Yeah. It, it is everywhere. Yeah. Well, Don, we've uh, easily hit an hour. That was wonderful. Super. We appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, giving us the what's up with Ivaclar these days. Super appreciate it. It was fun to be here. Yeah. yeah, it was great to be on. I appreciate being on. And yeah, look forward to doing it again. Yeah, and hopefully always, uh, uh, we'll get to see you sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> that would be great. I'm sure it'll happen. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it, Don. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Take Thank care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Have you seen the Whitmix CureBox Plus yet? This highly effective yet affordable light curing unit is ideal for most printed resins on the market. The economically priced curing box uses a specific wavelength and intensity light source, time control, and temperature control to polymerize or cure the dental resin materials. The unit's glasswork surface features diffuse reflectors, which improve light transmission uniformly to the bottom of the model, and its maximum temperature of 80 degrees Celsius provides increased compatibility with medical device 3D print resin. It also provides faster heating. 
The glove-friendly, easy-to-use touchscreen includes status indicators for heat, lamps, and the door to the large-capacity chamber, and it features one-touch presets, customizable settings, a timer, which goes from 5 minutes to 12 hours, a temperature controller, goes from 30 degrees to 80 degrees Celsius, and an auto-start and shutdown mode. For more information about Whitmix's Cure Box, visit Whitmix.com. We appreciate your support of the podcast, Whitmix. A big thanks to Don Bell and to Iva Clarbibadent for coming on our podcast to talk about a company that has done so much for our industry and products that I personally very much love. It is really great to hear that even at the VP level, they have people that seem to really understand our industry. And again, I really like using the IPS Emacs Zercad Prime. I've actually converted a lot of zirconia cases over to that. I'm using it all day, every day, and I super love it. It's translucent. It is not opaque. I've got pictures of it in the mouth from clients who just rave about it. Coming from me and our podcast, it's an excellent material, and I recommend it highly. Let me ask, it's called Emacs and Zirconia. What is it more like? That's what I love about it. It's like Emacs. I mean, it's a multi-layer Emacs. It's zirconia, but it's got vitality and translucency. It's got three layers. It's just beautiful. Seriously. I love it. As long as you have your nester that knows exactly where to place it yeah, and that you get those beautiful three layers on it and you've got somebody that has a clue, it comes out and like matches the shade guide. I stain it a little bit here and there, add a little halo and just boom, done. That's nice. Love it. So if someone asks for an Emacs, you can use it. And if someone asks for a Zirconia, you can use it. Yeah. I mean, I communicate with the clients. I mean, if there's a tight bite or there's something that's a clusily that I need to have more strength, I'll do the Zirconia Prime Zircad all day, every day. Love it. That's awesome. Well, there you go. Yep. From Barb's mouth to your ears, <laughs> Zircad Prime. Thanks. That's their new tagline. No. He's getting me in trouble, I have a Clark. Just, 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 just don't listen to him. <laughs> all right, everybody. That's all we got for you. We appreciate it. Have a good week. Thank you so much. Bye. Whoa. <laughs> this is a very small glass of wine. <laughs>